0: History, apologetics, and current events from the housetops, coming up next.
1: We go now to the next section of True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis Marie de Montfort. He says, Mary is necessary to God in the sanctification of souls. The conduct which the three persons of the Most Holy Trinity have deigned to pursue in the incarnation and the first coming of Jesus Christ, they still pursue daily in an invisible manner throughout the whole church, and they will still pursue it even to the consummation of ages in the last coming of Jesus Christ. God the Father made an assemblage of all the waters, and he named it the sea, mare in Latin. He made an assemblage of all his graces, and he called it Mary, Maria. This great God has a most rich treasury in which he has laid up all that he has of beauty and splendor, of rarity and preciousness, including even his own son, and this immense treasury is none other than Mary, whom the saints have named the treasure of the Lord, out of whose plenitude all men are made rich. God the Son has communicated to his mother all that he acquired by his life and his death, his infinite merits and his admirable virtues, and he has made her the treasurer of all that his father gave him for his inheritance. It is by her that he applies his merits to his members, and that he communicates his virtues and distributes his graces. She is his mysterious canal. She is his aqueduct, through which he makes his mercies flow gently and abundantly. To Mary, his faithful spouse, God the Holy Ghost, has communicated his unspeakable gifts, and he has chosen her to be the dispenser of all he possesses. In such wise that she distributes to whom she wills, as much as she wills, as she wills, and when she wills, all his gifts and graces. The Holy Spirit gives no heavenly gift to man which he does not have passed through her virginal hands. Such has been the will of God, who has willed that we should have everything through Mary. So that she, who impoverished, humbled, and who hid herself even unto the abyss of nothingness by her profound humility, her whole life long, should now be enriched and exalted and honored by the Most High. Such are the sentiments of the Church and the Holy Fathers. Inasmuch as grace perfects nature and glory perfects grace, it is certain that our Lord is still in heaven as much the Son of Mary as He was on earth, and that consequently He has retained the obedience and submission of the Most Perfect Child toward the best of all mothers. But we must take great pains not to conceive this dependence as any abasement or imperfection in Jesus Christ, for Mary is infinitely below her Son, who is God, and therefore she does not command him as a mother here below would command her Son, who is below her. Mary, being altogether transformed into God by grace and by the glory which transforms all the saints into him, asks nothing, wishes nothing, does nothing contrary to the eternal and immutable will of God. When we read then in the writings of St. Bernard, St. Bernardine, St. Bonaventure, and others, that in heaven and on earth, everything, even God himself, is subject to the Blessed Virgin, they mean that the authority which God has been well pleased to give her is so great that it seems as if she had the same power as God, and that her prayers and petitions are so powerful with God that they always pass for commandments with his divine majesty, who never resists the prayer of his dear mother because she is always humble and conformed to his holy will. If Moses, by the force of his prayer, stayed the anger of God against the Israelites in a manner so powerful that the Most High and infinitely merciful God, being unable to resist him, told him to let him alone that he might be angry with and punish that rebellious people— What must we not, with much greater reason, think of the prayer of the humble Mary, the worthy mother of God, which is more powerful with His majesty than the prayers and intercessions of all the angels and saints both in heaven and on earth? In the heavens, Mary commands the angels and the blessed. As a recompense for her profound humility, God has empowered her and commissioned her to fill with saints the empty thrones from which the apostate angels fell by pride. The will of the most high who exalts the humble is that heaven earth and hell bend with good will or bad will to the commandments of the humble mary who he has made sovereign of heaven and earth general of his armies treasurer of his treasures dispenser of his graces worker of his greatest marvels restorer of the human race mediatrix of men the exterminator of the enemies of god and the faithful companion of his grandeurs and triumphs. God the Father wishes to have children by Mary to the consummation of the world, and he speaks to her these words in Ecclesiasticus, Dwell in Jacob. That is to say, make your dwelling and residence in my predestined children, prefigured by Jacob, and not in the reprobate children of the devil, prefigured by Esau. Just as in the natural and corporal generation of children there are a father and a mother, So, in the supernatural and spiritual generation, there are a father who is God and a mother who is Mary. All the true children of God, the predestinate, have God for their father and Mary for their mother. He who has not Mary for his mother has not God for his father. This is the reason why the reprobates, such as heretics, schismatics, and others, who hate our Blessed Lady, or regard her with contempt and indifference, have not God for their father however much they may boast of it, simply because they have not Mary for their mother. For if they had her for their mother, they would love and honor her as a true child naturally loves and honors the mother who has given him life. God the Son wishes to form himself and, so to speak, to incarnate himself in his members every day by his dear mother. And he says to her, Take Israel for your inheritance. It is as if he had said, God the Father has given me for an inheritance all the nations of the earth, all men, good and bad, predestinate and reprobate. The ones I will lead with a rod of gold, the others with a rod of iron. Of the ones I will be the Father and the advocate, of the others the just punisher, and of all the judge. But as for you, my dear mother, you shall have for your inheritance and possession only the predestinate prefigured by Israel, and as their mother You shall bring them forth and take care of them as their sovereign. You shall conduct them, govern them, and defend them. This man and that man is born in her, says the Holy Ghost by the royal prophet David. According to the explanation of some of the fathers, the first man that is born in Mary is the man-god, Jesus Christ. The second is a mere man, the child of God in Mary by adoption. If Jesus Christ, the head of men, is born in her, then the predestinate, who are the members of that head, ought also to be born in her, by a necessary consequence. One and the same mother does not bring forth into the world the head without the members, or the members without the head. So in like manner, in the order of grace, the head and the members are born of one and the same mother. And if a member of the mystical body of Christ, that is to say one of the predestinate, were born of any other mother than Mary, who has produced the head, he would not be one of the predestinate, nor a member of Jesus Christ, but simply a monster in the order of grace. It is certain that if any one of the faithful has Jesus Christ formed in his heart, he can say boldly, All thanks be to Mary. What I possess is her effect and her fruit, and without her I should never have had it. We can apply to her more than St. Paul applied to himself the words, I am in labor again with all the children of God, until Jesus Christ, my Son, be formed in them and in the fullness of His age. When Mary has struck her roots in a soul, she produces there marvels of grace which she alone can produce, because she alone is the fruitful virgin who never has had and never will have her equal in purity and in fruitfulness. Mary has produced together with the Holy Ghost the greatest thing which has ever been or ever will be, a God-man. And she will consequently produce the greatest saints that there will be in the end of time.
2: This is what Sister Lucia Fatima said about the upbringing of children. Even when the children are entrusted to the care of competent teachers, what remains most engraved in the hearts of children is what they have received in their father's arms and on their mother's lap. Nothing can dispense parents from this sublime mission. God has entrusted it to them, and they are answerable to God for it. Parents are the ones who must guide their children's first steps to the altar of God, teaching them to raise their innocent hands and to pray, helping them to discover how to find God on their way, and to follow the echo of His voice. This is the most serious and important mission that has been entrusted by God to parents. And they must fulfill it so well that throughout their lives the memory of their parents will always arouse in their children the memory of god and of his teaching now some parents might say well how should we do this how can i do this well there are five ways one be faithful people pray for guidance and decisions and seek to deepen your relationship with god and always to jesus through mary two Teach your children to be generous and of service to others. Three, let the children see you pray and pray with them in ordinary and extraordinary circumstances, the rosary, the daily rosary with the family. Four, make and demand sacrifice. Help children see both by example and by what you expect of them, that a holy and a happy life involves sacrifice. Five, Show your faithfulness. Talk with the children about how putting your trust in Jesus and Mary affects your life. Let's review. One, be faithful people. Two, teach your children to be generous and of service to others. Three, let the children see you pray and pray with them, the rosary. Four, make and demand sacrifice. And five, show your faithfulness. Talk with your children about how putting your trust in Jesus and Mary affects your life. The family is a glorious institution that leads to heaven. And as St. Paul says, parents will be saved by the care they take of their children.
3: This is Deacon Bob Connor of First Concern Pregnancy Resource Center, Clinton and Marlborough. And you are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg,
2: On the WQPH Community Calendar.
4: In 2023, we're expecting to have tour two of the Holy Face Relic with Vicki Schreiner. As you know, she came here last year. We had five really major miracles happen. She's hoping to come in Lent. So if you want to be on the committee or maybe have her come to your church, we'd like to send her to different churches this time. Call us at 978 343 Oh eight nine three, and say, I'd like to have Vicki come to our parish, but I'm going to ask my priest first if he'd like us to come. Also, we have coming up in Lent, 40 hours, which is 40 continuous hours of Eucharistic adoration. We also have a pilgrimage this year, 2023 going to Canton, Ohio. That is the shrine of Rhoda Wise and Mother Angelica. And we ask you, what would you like to do? Where would you like to go? We'd like to do some day trips to Little Rose Farron. So we'll have a bus hired at a very modest price, and we can be going there and then stopping for lunch. I know some of you have some great ideas of what you would like our radio station to do. We have to be active. We have to evangelize our faith. It's our duty to help spread our Catholic faith. So if you have any suggestions of your own as to how this can be done, by all means, share them with us.
3: On the WQPH 89.3 FM Community Calendar at St. Cecilia's Parish, 180 Mechanic Street, Lemonson, Massachusetts, there is going to be Reflections on Proclaiming the Gospel of Life in a Post-Roe World. That's going to be Saturday, February 4th from 10 a.m. to noon and will be presented by Monsignor Moroni. Again, that will be at St. Cecilia's Parish, 180 Mechanic Street, Saturday morning, February 4th, from 10 a.m. to noon, Monsignor Moroni will present reflections on proclaiming the gospel of life in a post-Roe world. Once that's done, there will be an hour of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, intercession for all life from birth to natural death. Again, February 4th, 10 to noon at St. Cecilia's Parish in Leominster. This has been the WQPH 89.3 FM Community Calendar.
5: Hi, I want to share with you that we all have a guide angel, angel, powerful one, that our Lord has given to us from birth, and the angel will direct us and will protect us from all this evil around us. He is the most best friend you could ever have in life. He comes night and day. He's always around you. Pray for these people. They don't know they have a guide angel. Pray for your children's guide angel because a lot of the children don't even think of it. So pray, pray hard because there's many angels in this world They try to help us and many people don't even know about it. So I ask everybody that's listened to the radio station to spread the word about the angels because they are there to help us.
6: Thank you. Hello, this is Kendra Von Esch. Life is pretty simple. It's really just a choice. A choice between virtue and vice. But unfortunately, we have to make that choice hundreds, if not thousands, of times a day. But if we remind ourselves why we are trying to live virtuously and why we should not fall into vice, it will help us in those moments of temptation. It will help us from flying off the handle to our family and friends and to be kind and loving to others. But most importantly, love is a choice. And we choose to love God. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I choose to love you. For more inspiration, go to KendraVonEsch.com.
1: Hi, this is Tom Price from EWTN saying, thanks for listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Catholic radio serving Shirley, Fitchburg, and the world. As World War II began, Padre Pio assured the villagers of San Giovanni Rotondo that they would be protected from harm by the bombing. Many Allied aviation pilots of various nationalities and various religions were based in Vari to undertake missions in Italy after September in 1943. At the risk of their own jobs, they testified to an impossible occurrence that they had witnessed during American bombing raids. While all the other missions more or less went as planned, whenever they approached the zone of the Gargano, in the environs of San Giovanni Rotondo, they saw in the sky a friar, who either was flying at them and blocking their planes, or would be floating in the sky and simply stretching out his wounded hands to prevent the bombing of San Giovanni Rotondo. Foggia and almost all of the centers of Puglia were subjected to repeated bombardment and extensive destruction, but on San Giovanni Rotondo not one bomb fell. The General of Aeronautica Italiana, Bernardo Rossini, was part of the United Air Command operating out of Bari with the Allied Air Forces. Each time the pilots returned from their missions, General Rossini testified, they spoke of this friar that appeared in the sky and diverted the planes, making them turn back. Everyone laughed at these incredulous stories, but since the episodes kept recurring, the commanding general decided to intervene personally to dismiss these tales once and for all. He took command of a squadron of bombers to destroy a cache of German war materials that was said to be right in San Giovanni Rotondo. But until that time, no one had ever succeeded in dropping a single bomb in that area. Now, with the general personally taking the reins of this mission, all the men were curious to see the results of the operation. When the squadron returned, the American general was quite upset. He recounted that as soon as they arrived near the target, he and his pilots had seen rising up into the sky the figure of a monk with his hands held high. The bombs dropped all by themselves way too early and fell into the forest area, and the planes returned in retreat without any intervention on the part of the pilots. The episode was the main topic of conversation. Everyone was wondering who was this specter which the airplanes mysteriously obeyed. The Italian people, having heard the Allied servicemen's stories about the mysterious monk, told the servicemen, who then told the commanding general, that at San Giovanni... There lived a priest with the stigmata, who everyone considered a saint, and that perhaps he was the very one responsible for diverting the plains. The general found this hard to believe, but as soon as it was possible, he was determined to go there to find out. After the war, the general, accompanied by a few pilots, arrived at the Capuchin convent. As soon as he crossed the threshold of the sacristy, he found himself facing a number of friars, among whom he recognized immediately as the one who had stopped his airplanes. Padre Pio went up to meet him, and putting a hand on his shoulders, said to him, So it is you, the one who wished to do away with all of us. Astonished at seeing and hearing the friar, the general knelt before him, which was very uncharacteristic of this hardened military man, who also happened to be a Protestant. Although Padre Pio had spoken in his usual Benevento dialect, the general was convinced that the priest had spoken in English. The two became friends, and the general soon converted to the Catholic Church, having met a living saint.
0: The flight into Egypt teaches us to see and cherish the will of God, even in the most painful trials, without ever allowing ourselves to be cast down. The holy family was living quietly in their poor dwelling, when suddenly an angel comes in the middle of the night, and says to Joseph, Arise and take the child and his mother, and fly into Egypt. He does not say, Make ready to set out at the dawn of day, but depart at once, in the midst of the darkness of the night. He does not say, Go, but fly. It is a shameful resource in the eyes of the world, dangerous even, for they might be discovered and arrested. It is of no consequence. Fly. And where? Into Egypt. But what will become of us in that unknown land, without help, without protection? Joseph does not reason thus. He abandons himself to providence, without being discouraged or troubling himself about the difficulties of the road and the means of livelihood in that distant country, and he sets off. God wills it. That is sufficient. If God wills it, he will provide for all. Joseph starts on his journey with great calmness, with a perfect abandonment to the will of God, and traverses the hundred leagues which separate him from Heliopolis, the place of his refuge. Neither solitude nor inhabited districts disconcert him, nor do privations of all kinds discourage him. Jesus is with him. He is his treasure, his providence, his consolation, his all in all. Having arrived at Heliopolis, he there pitches his tent, and by dint of labor he provides for the needs of the little family. All three are living there in content. They are where God wills them to be. They are what God wills. What more do they want?' How many lessons are contained in this mystery? We learn from it, first, to detach ourselves from country, from our relations, from our friends, to leave promptly all that is dearest to us when God orders us to do so. Second, to know how to find God everywhere, and consequently, to be content wherever we may be. Third, to yield to the times, even to the extent of suffering violence and injustice, when force usurps right. Fourth, to yield to our neighbor by reserve, modesty, condescension, loving better to lose all than to lose charity, meekness, and peace. Fifth, to confide in God in the midst of even the greatest reverses, to see in all things his providence, which knows better than we do what is good for us, which knows how to draw good out of evil, which knows all, which can do all, and which loves us. Let us gather together these precious lessons and place them in the bottom of our heart. The flight into Egypt teaches us to desire nothing here below, but the most holy and amiable will of God. The holy family sets out by night, as we have seen. They do not desire to wait for the day. They leave in a state of absolute destitution. They do not desire to have leisure to make preparations for the journey. They go into Egypt, a country where they know no one. They do not desire to go to the country of the Magi, where they would be so well received. They traverse frightful solitudes. They do not desire a better road. Arrived at the place where they are to sojourn, they remain there until an order from heaven recalls them. They may suffer, be wearied, find their exile hard and long. No matter. They remain eight long years, always submissive, always content, believing that to God alone, who has placed them there, belongs the right to displace them. They do not say, We are here enjoying neither honor nor glory, but are forgotten and despised, while others, who are not worth as much as we, have a great reputation and live in splendor. They say, I am where God wills me to be, where could I be better? What a lesson for men who imagine that they will always be better off in any place than the one in which they are, who are never content with their position, and are constantly dreaming about another, as if they could have roses without thorns and a position without trials. How much better advised are they who know how to feel themselves to be well off where God places them, who live in dependence upon his providence, until they pass away into the arms of his mercy. After these eight years of exile, the angel comes back and says to Joseph, Return to the land of Israel. But where establish themselves? The angel leaves the choice to them, and the holy patriarch chooses not a great town, but the little village of Nazareth, where the Holy Family will lead a life more humble, more tranquil, more in conformity to the simplicity of their tastes. It is thus that when we do not clearly perceive the will of Providence, we ought to approach to it as closely as we can, asking ourselves, where shall I better work out my salvation? Where shall I be less exposed to lose myself? What decision will most console me at the hour of death? Are these the rules of our conduct?
1: The Slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary have published two excellent pamphlets for basic Catholic apologetics, The One True Church and The Church or the Bible. Mission Sermons by Father Arnold Damon Father Damon was born in the province of North Brabant, Holland, in 1815. He was admitted to the Society of Jesus in 1837 and was one of the band of young novices brought over to this country by Father de Smet, renowned Jesuit missionary to the American Indians. In his illustrious career, which spanned some 50 years of apostolic work before his death on January 1, 1890, Father Damon and his companions conducted missions in nearly every principal city of the United States. He is said to have been more widely known in this country and at one time to have exercised personally a greater influence than any bishop or priest in the Catholic Church. Father Damon, as a missionary, rose to a success that surpassed anything ever before or since known in America. The fiery apostolic zeal of this beloved priest can only scarcely be measured by the twelve thousand conversions to Catholicism for which he was responsible, often receiving as many as sixty or seventy souls into the church in one day. It must be noted, too, that amidst all of this remarkable apostolic labor, he managed to found the first Jesuit parish in Chicago and the first college, which later became Loyola University. The One True Church explains clearly and charitably that the only church established by Jesus Christ is the Catholic Church. In the Church or the Bible, Father Damon proves without any doubt that the Bible cannot be the sole rule of faith, which is claimed by Protestantism. For your free copy of The One True Church and The Church or the Bible, contact us at info at com or write to us at St. Benedict Center, P.O. Box 1000, Still River, Massachusetts, 01467. From the House Stops is produced by the Slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts.